1: i say with ashley ray another episode another episode of tv i say with ashley ray another episode another episode of tv i say with hello and welcome to the first episode of tv i say in 2021 oh my god we took two weeks off for christmas new year's we're back I watch so much TV for you. I watch so much TV for you guys. So I'm obviously very, very excited. Goodness. First of all, just thanks for listening in. Thanks for making the first nine episodes of the podcast so great. We have a wonderful episode today. Ricky Whittle is with me, Ricky Whittle from American Gods on Stars. Oh, that is a good looking man. Let me just tell you, we did that interview over Zoom and I was just like so distracted by his beauty. And not only that, but of course he is as charming and as nice as he is beautiful to look at. So you'll get to enjoy that later. But first on the list, as you know, every episode, it's the watch list. The watch list. This is where I talk about all the things that I watched. Actually, you know, it's surprisingly short for how many weeks off we had. I watched a lot of movies over the break. I like to watch movies for Christmas. And this is a TV podcast. I have made it very clear that this podcast is, you know, hashtag TV club, hashtag TV team. We are about TV here. So I'm not going to talk about all the movies I watched, although there were a lot, a lot of documentaries, but let's just get into the TV of it all. And some of this I have written about in my newsletter, TV I Say, the newsletter, which you can subscribe to. But, you know, there's also this pod. So let's just get into the first one. And I think a lot of people read what I had to say about this show. Bridgerton came out Christmas Day. I stayed up all night and watched it the second it came out. You know that I love a Shonda produced show. And let's get that clear Shonda produced the show. She did not write it or create it. She's a producer. Some white guy actually wrote and created it, which I think is clear with a lot of the plot lines and some of the colorism that is in the show. Seems very white guy-ish. But it is a Shondaland show, so you know I had to watch it. I love my Shondaland. And I did love Bridgerton. I mean, it's everything that I wanted. It is just an over-the-top, corny, period romantic mess of a show. It's basically just like gossip girl mindlessness with really attractive people. And my favorite plot of the whole thing is that it's just about one girl's really just deep, deep desire to get some jizz. That's what I wrote about The whole show, it's a lot like Harlots, which I loved. I love the show Harlots. I wish we still had Harlots, which, you know, does a really good job, actually, of really getting into the class issues and the race issues of its time. Bridgerton doesn't want to get into any of that. It's really just about the sexiness, the jizziness of it all. And this one girl who's like, I really want to have kids, but she doesn't know how kids are made. And this one man who's like, I'm sorry, I made a vow to never give a woman my jizz but they're in love, but his bow, but she wants it. Oh, I'm not going to let you know if she gets the jizz. I won't spoil it. But Bridgerton, it was a good time. I also watched People Investigates Cults, which counts as a TV show because it's on TV, but it is People Magazine's documentary series on cults. And it's really cool. They get into some smaller cults I hadn't heard of, some niche cults. You know, someone like me, I'm very into cult documentaries. They had some in there that I hadn't heard of. Tony Alamo was the big one that I ended up watching a longer documentary series about him. But really well done series. You know, there have been a lot of cult documentaries. I feel like they always tend to hit on the big ones, the Heaven's Gates, the Children of God and stuff. But this got into some really weird ones that, gosh, I just 20, 30 years from now, I can't wait to see what cults we're going to find out about. Moving on. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina dropped over the weekend. January, it dropped really recently. Started watching that. You know, the shows where the main character is the worst person on the show are so hard to watch. I hate Sabrina in this version of the show. They're always just like, Sabrina, don't do this thing. If you do this thing, it'll be bad and there'll be bad consequences. Don't do this thing. And then Sabrina's like, cool, the one thing I'm gonna do is that. And you're just supposed to like cheer her on while everyone else in the show is better than her. The show should be about Prudence and Ambrose. We all know that. That's why we watch. And then Sabrina's just this really jealous white girl who can't put her lipstick on right. The most distracting part of these new episodes is that they did Kiernan's lipstick in the dark. It's so distracting. Like every hallway scene where she's in the high school, it's like her lipstick is smeared on. My dear friend AJ, who is an amazingly hilarious comedian at AJ Deluxe on Twitter, they said that it's like she was eating ribs. Once you see it, you can't let it go. Like, every scene, it is just like, who smeared this girl's lipstick all around her lips? So that, I guess, is my review of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina so far. I have one episode left, so I will be writing up my full thoughts in the newsletter. But, you know, hey, it's a show with witches. I'm going to watch it. And this season, there are more Black witches. It is not handled that well, but they tried. Next up on the list is Cobra Kai, season three just dropped. Oh, you know, I love Cobra Kai. I love Cobra Kai. And the third season was everything I wanted it to be. It was over the top. It was corny, filled with nostalgia. And also, I've never seen any of the movies. So I've never watched a Karate Kid movie in my life. But I love the show. And it's just that sarcastic humor I like. And I'm still in love with Johnny. He's so damaged. And I think I could get him to open up. I think I could change him. I think I could fix him, you know? That scene when he like types up all his feelings and then he's like, no, never mind. And then he like shortens it. Whew, that hit close for me. But season three of Cobra Kai, I think it's really well done. I liked it a bit more than season two. I think the writing was a bit sharper. And I thought it really kind of held itself accountable in some funny ways by calling out this white guy who is doing karate and is obsessed with Japan by just being like, dude, no, this is not your culture. So I love that the show just kind of took that on right away. Moving on, over the holidays, I, for some reason, rewatched all of Veep, but this time I watched it backwards. So I started with season six and you know worked my way back. That show is so good and deserved every award that it ever got. I do think that we would not be able to make Veep today. And I think the issue I have with a lot of the political comedy that comes out these days is that it's really lacking the bite that Veep had. And I think that that is a bite that is Very much gone from today's political humor, where it just all tries to be too nice or just appeal to everyone in a way that's just not really saying anything beyond, oh, this guy is silly, or, you know, oh, don't we just dislike this guy, you know, with Trump. And with Biden coming into office, I really hope we get a more biting version of political satire back in comedy. But I don't know. I don't know that we will. I was watching Yearly Departed and Death to 2020 on Amazon and Netflix, respectively. And, you know, they both sort of take on politics, you know, and present an idea of what political humor under Biden could look like. Yeah, you know, I think that, again, is that comedy that really is going to appeal to everyone and is something that is more appealing to a wide relatability than any sort of biting commentary. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? Anyway, Veep is a good show. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Just back and forwards. Just so every joke, goddamn. Rewatch Veep or not? You've probably already seen it a million times. Moving on, I checked out The Great North, a new cartoon that just premiered on Fox Animation Domination. Really loved it. Some great voice work on this show. You know, you got your classics, Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, Will Forte, Jenny Slate, which I think is kind of funny that Jenny Slate is in this and is like very much playing like a very white little girl. (laughs) It's like, okay, Jenny, you got to just stick to the very, very white little girls now. It's almost funny if you want Jenny Slate, like you have to cast a little white girl as your main illustrator now. Otherwise, you can't get Jenny Slate. So yeah, it's about an Alaskan family. There is a black lady in it. So, you know, there's diversity there. It was funny. I think Gabe DeLahy, who I, is one of my like favorite writers in the world, is involved in this show and did something with it and might write on it. But I think he's so funny. So check out the show. After that, I watched Call Me Cat, also on Fox, Call Me Cat. That I, look, I watched it because I am addicted to television and I watch TV for you guys. I watch television for you. And a long time ago, I realized I was addicted to TV and I loved TV when I watched all of Two Broke Girls. At the time I was living in Germany, I was in this very strict language program where you only could speak English for 20 minutes a week to talk to your family. And the only outlet I had was TV, like you could watch TV shows in English. So I was just like, great, this is an outlet. And I ended up watching so much Two Broke Girls, even though it was a bad show, it was just all I had to watch. And Call Me Cat was very much the same thing. It's this thing where you're like, oh, there's talented people involved in this, and I want to cheer it on. But how did we get here? How did this show get here? Who decided and thought this was what America wanted? Like something just did not get translated properly. And now it's this very weird sitcom that feels like it should be on CBS in probably 1992. But maybe it'll get rebooted. Maybe something will shift there and they'll kind of find their groove. There is a lot of talent on that show. Next up, I watched the Save by the Bell reboot. Well, I only watched the pilot because I think I've said this. I refuse to pay for Peacock and they won't give me like screeners. So I only watched the free episodes. Loved that pilot. Thought it was really funny. Would love to keep watching the show. Again, I ask anyone listening who can get me a free Peacock thing. Help me out so I can watch that and finish AP Bio. Next up is Shameless. Shameless came back a few weeks ago, I think maybe before our break, but I've been watching the new episodes. You know, it's Shameless doing Shameless. The show was never going to be the same after Fiona left, and they've really kind of refocused on bringing in a lot of the background characters, making it more of a hangout sitcom. You know, there aren't really high stakes, and it's like, okay, that's fine. It's a completely different show, and the show knows that. And if you embrace that, it's watchable. There was a plot that annoyed me where they had people making edibles who all of a sudden, even though they had previously sold weed, had just lost those memories and were like, we don't know how to make edibles anymore and we're making like really bad ones. But then the next episode, they had Frank come in and be like, this is how you do it. And I was like, okay, well, at least they addressed it. But it's shameless doing shameless and it's the last season. The show probably should have gone out when it was on top, but hey, lip is still really hot. He's still hot. So I feel like I might have already talked about Shameless. But hey, they also did two clip episodes, which annoyed me. That did annoy me. Nobody cares about clip episodes. I also started watching The Comedians, which is an old show that only lasted, I believe, one season. The Comedian, starring Billy Crystal and Josh Gad. Yeah, it was only 13 episodes. It premiered in 2015. I checked it out just because I was bored. And I was like, I feel like this is one of those shows where it would have been bigger and people would have liked it. But then I started watching it and almost immediately I was like, oh, I understand why this show is not a show people talk about. (laughs) Almost immediately I was like, oh, this is like a very white male show that just had it come out and four years prior would have been a big hit, but just like hit that 2015 mark of no, we are sick of this type of humor. So, you know, that was kind of interesting to go back and watch. I don't know. It's a little TV history. You get to kind of see uh, the cultural shifts that happen for a show that just really probably would have been great if it had debuted around the time of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But in 2015, we're just, we don't need sarcastic white guys trying to take on race and gender issues. Thank you. I watched the Euphoria Christmas special. Wonderful, wonderful performances. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Euphoria. I mean, come on, Zendaya. It was great. I mean, it was depressing. It was not what I wanted. I watched it on Christmas Day, which did not give me the Christmas cheer I was looking for. But there it is. But wonderful performances worth the time. And I can't wait for Euphoria to come back. I'm so excited. I missed that show. So that felt good, too. And after that, last on the list. Gosh, I said it wasn't that much TV. But actually, this is kind of a lot of TV. When I think about it, it's like I watched whole seasons of Veep in like two weeks and all of this other stuff. Yeah, okay, I watched a lot of TV. Finally, on the list, Dark. This one was a request. If you subscribe to the Patreon for the podcast, you can tell me what shows to watch, and I will write about them. Dark was a request. It is a German horror show, sort of. And because I studied German, people were like, we'd love to know your take on this show. And I'm excited watching it because I get to appear German and remind myself that my German has gotten so bad. <laughs> But I like it. It's basically like German Stranger Things. Literally, the show is just teenage German Stranger Things. That's the whole thing. And so far, I'm only on episode four. I'll have a write up for you in the newsletter soon. I want to finish the first season. But so far, it is just like a kind of weird German Stranger Things, and it's fine. And that's it. That's it for the watch list. You guys, we did it. We got through it. All of that TV I watched. And I don't have a clip of the week, actually from all of this TV there was just so much of it I don't know I was like my clip of the week is from beep and then I'm like my clip of the week can't be a show that is off the air you know and chilling adventures of Sabrina there's no clip of the week there gosh what are we gonna do have one of the many musical interludes they threw into this new season of episodes I don't know why there's so many music like there are five bands all of a sudden on this show and all these teen bands are just constantly playing music that's not a clip of the week so I just decided not to do one no clip of the week. My gift to you is my interview with the wonderful Ricky Whittle. American Gods is premiering this weekend. It'll be back. It's so good. He has so much to say about it, and I'm so excited to just get into that. So, American Gods premiering this Sunday, January 10th, on Stars. You're not going to want to miss it. Season three. It's so good. Let's with get into it. Ashby.
2: I'm so popular, you know, I've got to turn that phone in silent. <laughs> I think you probably are pretty popular. <laughs> no, no. I, if anyone that actually knows me, I'm like a hermit. I'm one of the few people in the, the world who's actually enjoying this recharge. I'm like, hey, maybe we should. I'm like, ooh, pandemic. <laughs> and they're like, I mean, it's the kid's birthday. Do you want to, ooh, pandemic.
1: Yeah, same. I'm just <laughs> like, I love being alone in my room. I can watch TV. I can just write. I can center myself. But I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. On TV, I say I have Ricky Whittle with me. I think you're very popular, at least with my mom. You are. She's loved you. <laughs> That's the one since, I need. That's yeah, one she's need. loved you since Single Ladies. She loved you on Mistresses. I think she has a one-woman campaign to bring it back. She's still fighting for that. To but, be like mistresses? Myself.
2: Yeah. I just saw a tweet from Rochelle Eights who played my beautiful love interest, April. Yeah. I've got to say, you know, Mistresses to this day was still one of my favorite shows to ever be in. I remember the, because uh, <laughs> I was shooting um, The Hundred, and it was during the hiatus that it came up. And,. They brought me in for a read and it went well. And they said they want me for a chemistry read with Rochelle. And I remember kind of coming in and there was obviously a couple of guys. It's like speed dating when you come in for a chemistry read. It's a bit weird, it's a bit creepy to be honest. It's like, do I like you? Do I want to spend time with you for the next however many months? And I kind of came in and did it. And apparently I was the only one that got close to her. And I kind of did this thing where I whispered in her ear and I tickled her and she jumped and it was like a natural reaction. And she giggled because she wasn't expecting it, but it was that kind of chemistry that we had that we took onto the show. And that woman is fantastic to work with. Obviously she's very beautiful. She looks like a vampire. If you ever looked at her eyes, they're not brown or hazel, they're like red. When she looked at me, I felt like she was looking into my soul. And so I tried to just think only clean thoughts because I didn't want to get in trouble. I'm like, look, she can read all your mind. She can read your thoughts. But she's just so talented. And she just made it so easy. And I felt so welcomed and comfortable working with her. And I think that's what really brought out that great chemistry that we had in that show. It was such she made a strong very,
1: cast of women, I feel like. That's why I are, loved it. Yeah. They
2: were great women, all of them. And even the producers, you know, they were so welcoming and they brought me in. They'd have conversations. And our big problem was that the show was called Mistresses, but you had two really nice characters that truly loved each other who would never cheat on each other. So you couldn't have a mistress in that relationship.
1: I remember there was like a lot of controversy around the name when the show came out. It was very odd in American culture how people were kind of puritanical about it. Like, how can we have a show about mistresses? Oh my goodness.
2: Like that doesn't happen. (laughs) No, I mean, the name was perfect. And it's intrigue, it's controversy and stuff like that. But it just put them in a hole because in a show full of mistresses, like the women are having affairs or the men are having affairs or whatever's going on, there's mistresses somewhere. And then you had just two people who genuinely loved each other enough to... There was no way Daniel would ever have cheated on her. And there was no way that she would ever cheat on him. So the only way to break them up was to make some work-related issue, you know? And it was a shame, and it would have gone further because they actually wanted me to come back in a stronger capacity like I did the first time. So the season after, and it was actually the 100 that stopped me from doing it. They only allowed me to do, I think it was two episodes I came back for, when they wanted me for the full run. And I was completely available for it. And I would have loved to have done it, but for some reason, the powers that be at 100 didn't want me because they actually had a larger audience <laughs> and i think yeah. it's about kind of branding and they want when you talk about ricky will you think of the hundred and yeah they didn't want you thinking oh ricky Willow from mistresses
1: yeah and i feel like maybe you kind of came up doing a lot of the british kind of soap operas and stuff and i think the 100 was really kind of a shift for you <laughs> from the love interest role to, well, the 100. How did that kind of feel for you? And also, I was curious, did you grow up watching a lot of soap operas? My mom always made me watch The Young and the Restless and stuff like that.
2: (laughs) No, my childhood is literally American TV. It's why I'm here. It's what I grew up on. And it's why I feel all British actors are good at the American accent, because we've just been surrounded by American culture our whole lives. Uh, You know, that's why we find to Tell
1: me what American shows you grew up watching. (laughs) you got to remember I was
2: young. Don't judge me. (laughs) This is a safe space. No judgment, please. Safe space. Safe Safe space. space. Okay, so the first one, remember I'm a young man. No judging. Baywatch, you know. Okay,
1: yeah, that's fair.
2: I was a young man. Cameron (laughs) Anderson running in slow motion? Come on. Yeah. You know, David Hasselhoff was the coolest dude around, and if it wasn't Baywatch, it was Knight Rider. So he had a talking car. Come on. (laughs) Come on. My mum drove this crappy old Peugeot 205. You don't even have them in America. They're that crazy and weird. And this guy had a talking Trans Am, like yeah. Pontiac. Like, No, come on. Those so are classics. They were great, great shows. What else was there? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, that was yeah. my jam. Will Smith, Carlton. Oh, I uh, love. it.
1: Lo- I love Fresh Prince. I'm curious a little bit. I studied international TV in Europe for a bit. And what I would often hear from a lot of minority communities in England especially was that they love Fresh Prince of Bel-Air so often when they would be the only Black person in their school or the only Black person where they grew up. And it was this kind of connection and chance to be like, oh my gosh, America, (laughs) where there's all these Black people. (laughs) And so I know that kind of, you've talked about your upbringing, how you were sort of the only Black kid where you grew up. Did American TV kind of give that to you?
2: To be honest, no. For me, American TV, it's like an escape, you know, and it still is to this day. I remember seeing this. She was a very spiritual woman. I bumped into her at Sundance Film Festival and we, we kept in contact. And she made me very aware that my mind is always racing. I'm always thinking about stuff. So when I listen to music, yes, I'm relaxed and it's beautiful, but it makes me think. When I'm watching sunsets on the beach, I get real soppy now. I try to be this macho man, but no, I love a good sunset on the beach. I'm very romantic like that. But I'm always thinking about stuff. The only time I ever turn off is when I'm watching a movie or a TV show and my mind just goes straight in and I'm thinking about how would I have played that? Oh, I would have said it differently. I would have played that differently or the music's wrong, or the, I would have made the music, cut that shit. I, I turned into a director, I'm like, I've yeah. seen that extra in the background four times now. That cup was in this hand. Yeah. But I'm all involved in what I'm watching instead of my whole problems in the world. And so for me, with American TV and movies, it was just such a huge budget that we don't have in the UK. And so it was always so spectacular. And in the UK, I was successful and I had a great, great time there. I was a policeman and a club owner. And you can be a detective, maybe. You're a sportsman or something. In America, I'm a demigod right now, (laughs) you know? I was a tribal warrior in post-apocalyptic Earth. I was an FBI agent. You know, there's just a larger variety of roles for you. And so American TV and film really was just a huge escape because to be quite honest, growing up as a kid, I've almost found it. it's very strange. Growing up as a kid, I was the only black kid in school. And so it was always very strange until I got to my teens. And it depended where we were based because my dad was in the Royal Air Force. And so we moved around a lot. And as I got older, you start to get integrated with different cultures around the world in Hong Kong and Germany, Ireland, England. And then you start to learn about these different cultures. And for me, that's where racism and all this kind of craziness comes from. It comes from fear of, the, of not knowing. It's a lack of education. The sooner we start educating the whole world about the beauty of every individual out there. No one defines you but you. Culture's got this crazy idea that you have to fit into boxes and we have to label things and we have to name you because then we feel good. It's not about what anyone feels. It's about what you feel in yourself. That's the most important thing, you know? And so for me, traveling around the world and being in the UK, it's so multicultural. For me, you look at, I imagine in my head, Americans look at Brits as Hugh Grant like royal family they're white dudes with floppy hair no (laughs) that's why americans get freaked out when idris elba came across but they're like wait you make those guys in chocolate
1: yeah when he was on the wire people couldn't believe (laughs) everyone thought he must be an american like exactly yeah
2: and people are the same with me and they're like wait you're british hold on a second they make these in different and i'm like yeah if you look up brit in a dictionary we don't have a thing you know we got so many generations down the line of Asian, Indian, South American, like there's so many Brazilians, Australians, Africans. The UK is just so diverse. It's crazy. So for me, like coming to America, I mean, obviously, recently, we've seen the climate kind of crazy and changing all over the place. But I think it's always been there. I just don't think the people at the top were smart enough to hide it. Whereas I think previous regimes have been, they were able to kind of oppress and lie and I just don't think that this kind of government was smart enough to keep that going. They were too self-absorbed But now it's out there now. We've realized that wait a second. This economy is broken. Wait a second This healthcare is ridiculous. Wait a second this is some serious systemic racism. Like, this is a third world country.
1: Yeah, and I think there's an eagerness to have those stories and to have that diversity addressed, especially in the TV we're watching. And I think your sort of passion just for TV as a storytelling medium that can bridge cultures and that can break I'm, down some of that's what why I'm each person so sees is really just something I see right now. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it's why I'm so proud of American Gods because here you have the most diverse show on TV. And that's been facilitated off camera as well that you don't see. The only people speaking so far about season three have been people that have not read one word of one script of one episode and have no idea what's going on. I know what's going on, I'm the lead. I'm the lead, I'm a person of color, I'm an immigrant. So there you go, there's that. Now let's talk about the writing room that Chick Egli and Neil Gaiman put together, which is 10% cisgendered straight white male. The rest? LGBTQ, biracial, black, white, female, formerly incarcerated. Everything's there because what Chick and Neil want to do is tell stories, but you can't do that with an authentic voice if it's not being heard. And so in that writing room, we have people telling their stories. We're listening to their stories so that that could then be mirrored on screen. When we bring in Dominique Jackson, we bring in Leela Loren, Wale, we bring in... Julia Sweeney,
1: like, who I'm so excited about Julia
2: Sweeney blows my mind, right? She's I mean, not have a script.
1: Yeah. Personally, have as someone who loves TV history, I've loved Julia Sweeney for
2: so long. <laughs> what was it like working with her? So, number one, another thing that American Gogs has done, in the book, Hinselman is a man. We've made the character a female because we're trying to get representation, we're trying to kind of push as much representation in there as possible. There should be something for everyone. Everyone should be able to look at a TV screen or a movie screen and see themselves up there. There should never be any other doubt. We shouldn't be listening to one voice tell those stories. We should be listening to all the voices tell those stories. And what American Gods does is show the beauty in all those cultures, you know? Sometimes growing up, it was always, oh, these are the bad guys and these are the good guys. But in American Gods, everyone's good and everyone's bad. It's just about agendas. And in this world, everyone's got an agenda, and, and it's about who sets the narrative first. Yeah. Because sometimes, even when the truth's out there, people don't even care. They don't want to listen to the truth. They just want their own agenda because it makes them feel comfortable. So working with Julia was a great twist, and I feel it really improved the connection with Shadow and Hinselman, and it put it on a different level. Julia Sweeney is one of the funniest, most intelligent women you will ever meet in your life. This woman is hilarious, should not have a script. My best acting in season three at the beginning was trying not to laugh when she starts ad-libbing all this crazy dialogue. And I'm trying not to laugh, losing my mind going, she can't say that. How am I supposed to keep a straight face? And it's like, this is just too much. She's amazing. She was so much fun. She brings so much to the role. and. She will fast become the audience's favorite at the beginning of the season because she just brings something that the show doesn't have. It's, she plays that annoying know-it-all in a village, in a town, in a neighborhood that knows right. everybody's she's business. She's playing the sort of self-appointed mayor. Self-appointed mayor. She's making all the decisions. She's taking over the police. She knows your business before you do. And then she's telling your business to everyone else. I cannot know. wait to watch her in this. show. She's ball. so much fun. One of my favorite scenes is literally Shadow's introduction to Lakeside, which is where we joined this season. It's my favorite part of the book. If anyone's not read Neil Gaiman's book, this is my favorite part of the whole book.
1: I'm curious, did you actually film in
2: Wisconsin? No, this was a beautiful town in Toronto, Canada, Port Perry, which we completely dominated. We shut everything down, (laughs) we blocked it all off, we had police barricades and everything, and I'm like, why? There's no one here. This is a beautiful town in the middle of nowhere. But then I went to rehearse ice skating on a weekend, The place was like New York. It was vibrant. There were people. I'm like, where did these people come from? They love to ice skate there. We must just shut this town down when we're filming because it was empty when we shoot there because that's what we need for the show. Yeah, I'm from the Midwest,
1: and I can only imagine shooting in Toronto is way better than actually being in Wisconsin.
2: Well, we shot Wisconsin in season two. We went to the House on the Rock. So we get around. We definitely get around. But... What we needed for this season was snow. Lakeside is a snow-covered town. And so big props to our locations team for finding this beautiful town, Port Perry. And then our set design, who basically needed a snowy town, but we were shooting in September before the snow fell. So what they did was to create snow, fake snow, put it everywhere, and it blew my mind. I'm walking onto sets in this town full of fake snow, and then I'm starting to get chills because it's making me feel cold because it looks so realistic. And on a show that's full of fantasy and sci-fi and dead wives and gods and leprechauns and demons and magic, the best special effects on this show was snow this season. <laughs> because so cool. it looks so great. It looked perfect. And it was a lot of fun to shoot, you know, with Julia, with Eric Johnson, with Leela, who plays Marguerite. It was a lot of fun. And it's where the book really does take a turn and becomes into this kind of murder mystery for Shadow and it's a path of discovery and he's trying to find himself after finding out that his father was Mr. Wednesday's actually his father.
1: Yeah you were saying you know you're the lead now and I kind of was curious about that how did it feel sort of taking the lead in the show and
2: addressing well, he's always all these been the narratives. Lead. Yeah that's the thing and that's what we've done this season is in the book the book was always Shadow's journey. Neil Gaiman wrote about Shadow and then it was all about the gods that crossed his path. So for me it was always Shadow's journey and these fantastic characters kind of crossed his path and then left. The only characters that will stay consistent as in the book were Mr. Wednesday and Laura. They're the only characters that are with Shadow through to the end. So for me it was great to kind of get the opportunity to work with all these other characters but you know as in any show you know they come and go that's TV and it was always yeah. known if you've read the book that's what happens. So for me what has been a huge help this season is Chicken and Neil really kind of focusing in on Shadow's story and making the public aware. Like even that sort of thing is making the public aware, Yeah, this is Shadow's story. And last season yeah. that got lost because people were kind of writing for themselves. Whereas this is Shadow's journey. This is the protagonist. This is the hero of our story. And we need to follow that. There was too much going on. And sometimes, yeah, and I you guess, know... I
1: guess there is where, what themes are you excited to explore now that we're finally focusing on that journey? Because I think, I mean, a lot of the previews are very excited that you're taking your shirt off. I'm also very <laughs> excited you're taking your shirt off this season. But obviously, we're
2: finally... There will be more shadow in- moons. There will be more <laughs> butt cheeks. Okay, you know what? Actually, now I don't
1: even care about any of the important topics that we get to explore with his character. You're telling me we get to
2: see his butt? So uh, I mean, if, if anything's What, what else the do you show, need? How about a slow motion wet butt cheek in the moonlight? I mean, what else do I need? to say? Season three. Boom. See you next season.
1: See you. Boom. We're done. Get
2: done. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs>
1: obviously the very exciting things about the show but I don't know I'm very excited about the themes we're going to get to focus on with Shadow Moon.
2: That's the thing with this role I've read the book so I know where Shadow's going and I worked backwards so in season one I really peeled away all the layers all the levels that I wanted to go through so that we start with Shadow in season one as this broken shell of a man who's lost everything. He's lost his mother at 15, grew up without a father, finds a wife who then dies, and his best friend dies at the same time. And then he finds out those two are having an affair. His life is broken and empty. He's got nothing to live for, really. And that's where we find Shadow. And so throughout the seasons, I was kind of able to add more layers as this guy who's void of charisma and emotion and feelings Starts to start wanting things again now, and in season three you're gonna start wanting for Shadow. I think in season one you just wanted him to be okay. You just wanted to give him a hug because he was getting yeah. lynched and he was getting attacked and battered and lied to. And in season two he's being tortured. And then again it's like people are just taking advantage of him. He's being dragged here and dragged there.
1: I just feel like he can never just be okay. I was just like, can you just
2: exactly? Be okay? And don't get me wrong, he's still not gonna be okay. <laughs> Because apparently I pay pain very well. And that's all they want to see. They just so want to torture you. They do. And so they do it this season, but it's more so on Shadow's terms. Well, I mean, we finished with Shadow at the end of last season, finding out that Wednesday's his father. We find out that Wednesday killed his wife and he's done. So we find Shadow at the beginning of season three. He's grown a beard. He's grown his hair out. He's hiding from the police. He's hiding from the FBI. His physical appearance is a physical example of him trying to move on with life. He's trying to shed what he was. You know, he was incarcerated, so he had a shaved head. His beard was low and he was this big guy because that's what he had to be to survive. He had to assimilate to everyone else. Yeah. This is his way of being free. He's like, you know what? I'm growing my beard, I'm growing my hair. I'm gonna go work in a factory. See that girl over there? She's cute. I want a normal life. And that's what Shadow wants. He's only ever wanted a normal life. You know, he traveled around the world until he found Laura and he threw everything in Laura. And that's why he found it so hard to let her go and to stop missing her. But until he kind of gets his closure from that, realizing that she wasn't the woman that he fell in love with anyway, he kind of fell in love with a ghost, someone that wasn't really who she was. And they'll always have that connection and that history. But he fell in love with the idea of someone. And that's not fair on Laura either, to put that pressure on her to be something that he wanted her to be, you know, she's her own woman. So what we developed this season when Laura and Shadow meet is kind of pushing that where two people can love each other and things cannot work out, but no one has to be at fault. People can just drift apart and be better off in a different situation. And that's where we find Shadow where he's looking for that happiness. He only ever had happiness when he was with his mother. We saw in season two, the connection, the bond, the light. That his mother gave him. And sadly, when that was taken away, he's constantly searching to fill that void. And he tried to get it with Laura, that wasn't right. Now he's trying to get it when we first see him in season three, where he's trying to live this normal life. He's given up the gods. He doesn't want any part of it. He wants a normal life. But with the gods and Mr. Wednesday and his destiny as a demigod now, you know, it's the Superman story. It's like he has powers. What can he do? Can you really turn your back on that sort of knowledge and power but he's gonna try his best but unfortunately destiny only goes so far you know you can only outrun it for so long until it will find you and then you have to make a decision but what we do this season is we make those decisions on shadow's terms shadow decides what he does with his life where he goes what he wants to do and there's a great friction between shadow and mr wednesday who keeps reaching out to his now son and shadow kind of saying where have you been the last 30 years i'm good don't worry about it I don't yeah. care if you're a god. I don't care about, you know, you're not a dude that was working in Walmart. You know, you're a god. You could have been there any time. You're a god. You could have saved my mom or you could have been there to help me through it. Shadow's carrying a lot of anger and a lot of frustration in that. And it's all going to be unpacked this season as, yeah. as the two try and move past this. Everything um, so you're,
1: you're saying makes me really, really excited about the announcement of Wale playing Tango. How, oh, how does that Chango... dynamic work with this? I'm really curious.
2: Power. That is all I'm going to say. I mean, you. Yeah, I don't
1: want what... to like. I don't want to spoil because everything you said. I'm just like knowing how powerful that God is, and sort of this figure of male dominance, and sort of clashing against where shadow is right now. I'm so sort of curious to see how that guidance, or I don't know, conflict arises between them.
2: So the thing is, this is where I'm going. Like, don't say anything that you'll get in trouble yeah. for. No spoilers, but for uh, but... <laughs> me, it's more than that. It's not just Chango, it's the Orishas as well. I don't want to go too much into it because it really will spoil the journey of this season. But what Chick Eggley brought with Neil Gaiman this season and this incredibly diverse writing room is real power to a script and something that we have always been great. Like American Gods is fun. It's a novel, it's entertaining, we've got great actors, and it's fun at the end of the day, it's entertainment. But what we've been able to do is also provide a platform to educate and raise awareness about different cultures and faiths and beliefs and relevant political situations. The history of America is dark and America's really afraid to show it. They've thrown up these walls. They change history books. They've changed Stories, it's this fear of not being perfect, and it's okay to not be perfect. You don't just move past that stuff. You open up the book, you read every page, and you go, this is what it is. And what we do this season with Wale, who brings, oh, in, oh, I'm so excited. It's so <laughs> I'm so good. excited.
1: Vale. I think, I think we, should, we should leave everyone, everyone on, on that exciting cliffhanger with it. Like, I can't wait to see his performance.
2: You know, we do these little coming to America stories at the beginning of episodes. There's this one moment and it's another one of those powerful moments where we go into the history of America. We go into racism and we go into the systemic racism and slavery and all this kind of history of America. And Wale is a part of that. And the Orishas are a part of that. And it's this history that starts to speak to shadow, which is something that we've not approached in Shadow's journey yet. And now all of a sudden, you've got this really strong female African influence in Shadow, you know, this female spirit that is coming to him. And something that I really found exciting this year was working alongside Yatini Badaki, who plays Bilquis. You know, I only got to work with her once this whole show. And then this season, we have some fantastic scenes. Fantastic scenes. And so exciting. I can't wait for the audience to kind of see these two characters having a conversation about women, about how they're supposed to be perceived, how they're supposed to be defined, and how they've never been able to define themselves. And it's about, you know what? They have a voice, and they're gonna use it, and you're gonna listen now. Because yeah. it's been oppressed for too long, and they've done too much for you to just stand on that now. So now you're gonna listen, it's our time. And your day delivers power this season, Wale, the Orishas. They deliver this amazing story and this amazing moment.
1: Is there anything else you're watching right now that you're really excited about You know, with the new year? Anything you're (coughs) excited to binge? Anything you're watching?
2: I mean, to be honest, I did all that at the beginning of the quarantine. I literally went through everything. (laughs) I got nothing left. That's why American Gods is gonna be so great because there's nothing left (laughs) on TV that's not new. American Gods yeah. is the only news thing out there, so get watching American Gods Season 3. There
1: it is, premiering this month. Watch it, yeah. What? <laughs> Done. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ricky. This was such a wonderful conversation. Oh, I am so, so excited for this season. Everything you brought up. I and mean, you can't see, I have my ocean altar right here. Like the Orishas is something I am so excited for the show to explore. You're um, going to be
2: so happy. I'm going to be watching. I'll be talking about it. I hate to impress because <laughs> I'm a child and I just want to tell everything. And I'm just like, oh, and then... then <laughs> I have a horrible thing.
1: interview because I just want to keep listening. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm sure you have back-to-back interviews and you're so busy. Oh, so,
2: dear. Just know that you're gonna be speaking this season and it's about hearing everyone's voice. What this season is, this season's about the we, not the I. And for me, that's very important in this day and age where there's a lot of good people in the world, but for me, I feel there's more selfish people in the world. You can be good and you can be selfish at the same time. I think that's what we see a lot of today. You're a good person and you don't mind and it's all this and all that, but my life's more important And I only care about my bank account and my people. And it's like, no, the sooner we start looking to our neighbors and trying to build people up and trying to come together and help each other and all rise together, the sooner we can start to heal and start to move this planet forward. You know, stop thinking about ourselves because that's only a terrible spiral that's just going to end up down on the floor and in the dumps, man. So this season, it really is about listening to everyone's story, listening to everyone's history and everyone's voices. And then people finding themselves, not letting society define them, but defining themselves and listening to voices in their soul and in their hearts and in their minds and just being proud and happy to be who they are. And that's what this season's about. With Celine, with Bilquis, with Laura, with Shadow, with Tech Boy. Everyone's kind of on this journey of self-evaluation and then self-fulfilling. Definitely. You'll love it. I can't wait. I'm excited for you.
1: Thank (laughs) you. I, I can't wait. Thank you so much. Ashley. Oh, that was Ricky Whittle. Just what an attractive, sweet man. I just, goodness. I might post a clip from the Zoom because he's just such a good looking man. Gosh, you got to watch American Gods this weekend, this Sunday on Stars. So excited to check out these new episodes with this wonderful new cast. And thank you so much for listening to TV. I say pod to our 10th episode. Goodness. We have some more big guests coming up for the rest of the month. We're so excited that, you know, I'm still excited to be doing this. I'm still excited you're all still listening. And if you love the pod, if you have enjoyed this episode or my 90 Day Fiance episode with Seth Rogen and Roxanne Gay, if you have enjoyed any of it, feel free to support the podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash TVI Say Pod. There's a bunch of membership levels. You get different things, things you can make me do, things you can make me watch things I'll write for you. Or you can just subscribe to the newsletter to get the sort of readable version of this podcast on Substack, .substack ashleyray.substack.com. You can also subscribe to that if you don't want to do a Patreon. Either way, support the podcast, TVI say. Feel free to give us five stars, rate and review. Do all that stuff. If you don't want to give me money, that's fine. Just keep listening. You know I do this because I love it. One woman operation over here. So, yeah, that's TV I Say episode 10. We'll be back next week with another episode. The TV I Say with theme Ashley song Ray. was made by Rafia another Santana, and our artwork was created by Chastity of Hyman. Of TV I Say with Ashley Ray. Another episode, another episode of TV I Say. episode another episode of